What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Welcome back, guys. Another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the knowledge and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. I am joined today by two people that you've seen on the podcast before. They don't need a lot of introduction. We've got Gun Show up top, and we've got Dr. Mike T. Just give the people a nice flex up top, and Mike, maybe just give them a nice, nice wave. Beautiful, oh, nice. Beautiful wave, sir. Ooh, hey. a double-handed wave. I like that as well. And our guest of honor today, because we were told by our viewers that we needed to talk tactical physical therapy. So our podcast guest today is none other than Dr. Jason Mitchler. Jason, are you someone who enjoys the doctor? Because I feel like there's a real like divide here. Like there's some people that are like, don't call me doctor. That's a weird and it's too formal and it makes me uncomfortable. So before before we go any further, is it is it no doc? Yeah, I'm a I'm a no doc. My kids say that I'm no a dinosaur, doc. I'm a dinosaur doctor. They call me, you know. So I'm not a real doctor anyway. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a no doc though. So, but. all right, perfect. I will try to not make you uncomfortable. But Jason is a doctor of physical therapy. Uh, he's the director of operations at the William J. Pronunciation here. I'm gonna go with Hybel. Hybel. Hibble. Yeah, it's, that's that's common though. Hibble, yeah. So. I would have guessed uh, Hibble. Sports Medicine and Performance <laughs> Center out in Colorado Springs. Got his DPT from Baylor University, like our good pal Michael over here. Uh, Ten-year military vet, CrossFit Level One certification. Jason, did I miss anything? Any yes. other? No, actually, about thirty years of Army time. So, but uh, so, yeah. A 10. Where did I even get 10? Yeah. Typo, typo <laughs> of the year right yeah. there. I came I in in wanna... 1989. Yeah. So probably before Mike was born. That's what I didn't want to date you. <laughs> 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 so I want to give you a chance before we start any of our like actual questions here to just go over anything that I may have missed. Tell us kind of the Jason Mitchler story. Like who is Jason Mitchler? Where'd you get your start? How did you develop along your career? What do you do for fun? What's your favorite soup? Um, and then maybe tell me what your favorite diet beverage is. We'll hit all the important boxes. Okay. Okay. I'll see if I can get it all. So, yeah. So uh, I was born in uh, Appleton, Wisconsin, which is just outside of Green Bay. Um, and the Packers are playing right now. So, uh, um, oh, sorry. Yeah. But I, I, uh, I moved to Colorado, North Denver when I was young, and I grew up there. I attended high school there, and then I attended the University of Northern Colorado and got a degree in kinesiology. And then 
after my freshman year, I joined the Army Reserves. Um, so at that time, the reserves, they included combat arms. And so I was an infantry guy. Then I was called up for uh, Desert Storm in 91. And so I dropped out of school and I ended up going to Germany for, I think, four to five months. And then after that, I finished my degree. Afterwards, after college, I worked as a, I worked in the, for the airlines. I worked as, as a personal trainer. I worked um, for a PT clinic because I, I thought I wanted to go to physical therapy school initially. And then uh, when I was in physical, when I was working at a clinic, a guy came in and he told me about the Special Forces 18 Delta program, um, Special Forces Medic. And so I then enlisted in the Army. Um, I went to Hawaii. I was with the 25th, um, various jobs there. Um, I was with the Scout Platoon for most of the time. And from there, I went to Special Forces Selection. Went to Fort Bragg, got picked up as an 18 Delta, which is a medic, and then you know, two years of schooling for there. And then I was assigned to 3rd Special Forces. After that, um, I did a few years with 3rd uh, Special Forces. I actually got out of the Army completely. Um, I was At that time, I was thinking I wanted to go to medical school. Um, and so I started doing some prereqs, and I was working in an emergency room in, in Denver. And then... I found out that the Army Baylor had a physical therapy program, and so kind of musculoskeletal has always been kind of my passion. And so I applied, and, and I went to Army Baylor physical therapy program. And then after that, uh, numerous assignments. Uh, most of them at Fort Carson, did a tour in Afghanistan as a PT, and then. I retired in 2019. I was working as a contractor for 10 Special Forces as a physical therapist with the Thor 3 program for roughly around nine months when I got the director of operations job at Hibble. So I uh, coach wrestling um, for one of the local high schools here. I'm big into jujitsu. Um, I like to mountain bike, ski, anything outside, and just like to work out. So, Still doing any CrossFit? Not, not too much. I, I've, I've done the open one year, and so occasionally I'll do some. Um, it's uh, I'm not. I'm kind of a like a solo workout guy, and so I didn't. I wasn't really into the whole gym thing, and so. But well, it's good. It's good stuff, though. You know. All right. So it seems like you've kind of that was a, a very long, long progression there. Yes, yeah. Started very young, fresh face in the army, transition to special force medics, four three implementation, now on to civilian life. So I think because we're gonna spend a good amount of our time here talking about Thor three, maybe you can kind of just define what exactly that is. Yeah, and so you know it's been a the program started in two thousand nine and so at that time, I was at Fort Benning, um, and SOCOM was looking to start a human performance program, and they tasked USASOC, or Special Operations Command, with coming up with the Thor 3 program. And so this all happened before I got there, but they were given a lot of money, and initially it was going to be this five-year program, kind of this holistic, with the idea that we were going to mirror what professional sports did for their athletes, that we were going to treat tactical athletes or tactical soldiers like they were professional athletes and so they brought in a lot of these d1 coaches a lot of coaches from professional sports a lot of this holistic stuff and you know we were just you know barfed a ton of money and 
and we were just kind of told to run with the program. At the time, um, when I came over, the guy before me, Rich Westrick, he had developed a little bit. They had kind of they had started to develop the program a little bit, but there was not. It was just all on paper. You know, we had what the gym was going to look like, what the staff was going to look like. But at that at that time, as a group physical therapist, it was just me or just the the PT kind of running for the whole group, and so it was a. It was a lot of different hats to wear that was, you know, I, you know, obviously you're doing a lot of things, you know, for me, like, you know, I was trying to do, do a lot of things as best as I could, but you end up doing a lot of things just kind of poorly just cause you're, you're running around so much. And then you're trying to take care of patients too, for the group. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of how Thor three started out. The idea is going to be this holistic program that mirrored professional sports or mirrored, uh, D one collegiate athletes. So at the time that you, um, they started thinking and tossing around the idea of, um, of implementing some sort of really diverse, uh, comprehensive care program for the, now did it start out being an SF only thing or was it, was it intended to be broad? Yeah. I mean, so I, I may be wrong, but it was, it's a special operations thing. So we were, so that includes the special forces, uh, the Rangers, um, the the task force one sixtieth guys, which are like the the helicopter um, units, and then it also I think Marsoc, the Marines had a team. I think the only one that bowed out was the Air Force initially, and then the Navy had something else going on. You know, they already had a little bit of a program, and so um, we actually got our human performance coordinator from one of the teams, one of the SEAL teams, and so they already had a program. So it wasn't necessarily part of the Thor 3, I don't think. Um, but, yeah, so the Air Force, they, they've bought into it now, um, but initially, you know, it was everybody but the Air Force that that kind of bought into this. So Special Operations Command to include everybody and in, to include Special Forces. Okay. And at this time, were you acting as a physical therapist in your army role? I was, yeah. So I was the group physical therapist at that time. Yep. And then, bam! Right in your lap, this huge, enormous, vague, uh, maybe some sort of uh, <laughs> enormous, vague deal. Let's gonna let's put this together, and it's gonna be multi-million dollars worth of development. Jason Mitchell, have fun. Yeah, yeah, it really was like that, and, you know. And I came in, you know, and I felt like, you know, I was only a year or two out of PT school, so my skills are fairly new, and and yeah, it was just, it was a huge learning curve, and you know, it was a lot of long hours, and yeah, it was pretty stressful. I drank a ton of monsters, and you know, I just lay it, lay awake at night, just just stressed out, and you know, everyone was kind of yelling, and there was what we thought the program was and what thought people thought it was going to be. And everyone had like a different idea to include like the staff we were bringing in, you know, we were just all, it was all on the, on the fly. And so, you know, we, you know, we butted heads a lot and, and there was a lot of disagreements. And so, yeah, initially it was, it was pretty stressful. I would say for me, definitely. And all the while, are you still now working on, on uh, soldiers when they're getting injured, they've got, they've yeah, got shit yeah. and you're like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing patients every day. And then, you know, then I'm going up and talking to the command and we're trying to organize, getting the facility built and getting all this equipment to, to come in and hire staff. And yeah, like I said, it was, it was long days and it wasn't, it wasn't a, I don't really remember it with any, like, <laughs> like it wasn't, it wasn't a good time, you know, but it, it, in the end, it ended up being an excellent, you know, but and not initially, a great, it, 
Not a gray hair on your head. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible, yeah. As I said, it used to be six foot four, you know, long flowing <laughs> hair. And so, yeah. <laughs> Took it right out of you. What was your first objective when they said, all right, comprehensive care for uh, special operational forces? What do you got? Yeah, so initially, you know, I just kind of looked at what, what could I take care of? And, you know, we needed a facility. At that time, we were using, I think it was an old supply room, and it was over, uh, it was under an HVAC system. And so I, I blame any like health issue I have for the rest of my life. The fact that I worked under an HVAC system for like three years. And, but, uh, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't anything in there. there. I think there was like four Smith machines and like a leg press and, you know, maybe one rusty barbell. And, and so we got rid of all, we had to get rid of all that equipment. We had ordered all this equipment. We had some Mondo flooring put in. And so that was kind of my first initial objective. And then we, at this time we were trying to hire some staff. Um, and when I say we, I mean me and the command. So I was working with the command, like who they wanted to bring in. And they had interviewed some people. Um, and because of it, uh, the government job, it was people that with veteran status that, you know, were kind of, they weren't necessarily qualified to, for the coordinator position. You know, maybe they would have been a good strength coach or whatever, but for someone that we wanted to run a program, they didn't necessarily have the skills that we were looking for. And they had interviewed a few people um, before I had gotten there and, and they had kind of taken these people out, but these people kept coming back in uh, when we re-interview. Re and so we'd have to answer to why we couldn't hire these people with veteran status. And so it was painful and it took a little while. And that's how we ended up getting um, a guy from the SEAL teams. We kind of did like a cross transfer. And so, so to answer your question, initially it was um, staffing and then um, equipping the facility. Right on. And then the PT came out. What do you think, here's something that I think is fascinating about Thor that I, that never gets enough credit is um, I have a friend that's working in the dietetics side of it. Um, was that brought on initially as well? Was that in conjunction with, or did this all pan out long over time? So it was, it was on the, the plan initially, you know, we had, they had thought what, you know, it was strength coaches, dietitians, physical therapists with the long term being, you know, some sports psych, a data analyst, and then when they started bringing in this POTUF, which is pressure on the force and family, which is like a holistic thing, when they started bringing that in, then they started bringing in some sociologists, family counselors and that. But initially it was strength coaches, physical therapists and the dietitian. And, and I would say like for us, we had a dietitian and she came from the Olympic Training Center. Her name is Laura Anderson. And uh Probably know from uh, Baylor, you know, we always make fun of the dietitians. You know, you tell them like everything, like oh, I insure you'll you'll give somebody insure, and and so we had these uh, dietitians. I used to make fun of them all the time, and then we had this dietitian came in, and then and I didn't really know. I was like, well, what's she gonna do? You know, like don't eat corn or something. And and <laughs> she came in, and it, it was amazing. Like what I changed lives, and just and you know, I think it's like well, you probably know too with. Everyone thinks they know how to work out, right? Like everyone thinks they know how to exercise or what to do. And then, you know, everyone thinks they know how to eat properly. But then when you meet someone that truly understands it and truly understands athletic programming and, and like maybe the, 
the military side of things and tactically how to fuel the body. Yeah, I mean, guys were losing the weight and they were gaining muscle and if they were performing better. And I used to say, you know, if we could get rid of, if we had to keep one person, we'd get rid of everybody except Laura, including myself, you know, because I felt like she was the one that was just really making a huge change. And so she moved on and there's a new new gal in there, Kelsey, and she's doing a great job. And yeah, it's still just a, you know, she's, they're nonstop. They're busy all the time. So that's awesome that people are receptive to that because you, they have to want to hear it. If people yeah. have to want to hear that they can't have uh, supersonic burritos every day right before they go yeah. uh, <laughs> on the deployment. <sighs> so let's, let's, let's go back from like day one of inception when you had that project kind of plopped on your desk until you kind of left the project behind or you kind of retired from that side of things. How did that model of not only the physical preparedness, so it sounds like when you guys first got started, you really wanted to hit the physical side of things. You hired the strength coaches, the PTs, the nutritionists. How did that shift not only the physical side of things, but the mental readiness side of things as well? It sounds like you said later on, they brought on more psychologists, family counselors, that side of things. Yeah, and I, and I think initially, probably when we with the model based on d1 sports or professional sports and calling the the soldier this like tactical professional athlete and we brought these coaches in well it's a different animal right like a a soldier even even a great in shape sf dude or a ranger it's not the same as a football player or a hockey player. And I think initially there was some confusion on how to train or what, what the expectations coming in, you know? So I, I worked with a guy and he had, he was coming from Auburn and, you know, I'm like, well, you know, you'd be surprised that we got these like chain smoking guy that's a little overweight, but he can throw, you know, 70 pounds on his back and he can go all day and then he can shoot on the range and he can do his job well and he can deploy and, you know, he's like running himself into the ground and, you know, like he's not what you, you know, he takes his shirt off and, you know, everything's hanging over his, you know, his, his belt, but this guy can go hard all day long. And, you know, he's the guy you want to deploy with and you want to go to combat with, but he doesn't look like the athlete. And so I think initially maybe there was like a little shock and we had a little changeover of what of staff, you know, they're thinking like, well, I was going to go in and, you know, train these like Greek gods and, you know, it's just like kind of this kind of chubby dude that gets after it or whatever. And so, um, but so I think once we got in and they looked at the programming and what we could do and how it would look with op tempo and people going to the field or going on deployments or these other like J sets and how we could that, you know, they're there, then they're gone, then they're there and what that would look like. I think they were able to kind of start establishing the performance side of the house with the dietitian, and then the rehab was has always been there because people always get hurt. So our side initially, you know, we were we've always been fairly fairly busy, but I think where we were missing the gap was kind of circling back to performance or circling back to, to the dietitian, and then I think they always intended to bring on the mental health specialist or the sports psych. And I wasn't there when they, when they brought him on, they brought him on after I left. And then when I came back as a contractor, you know, this sports, like he's working with the, the CQB, like the close quarter teams, you know, the, he's going to the schools, he's talking to, he, he's touching every team. 
and he's doing he's doing he's doing mental skills training and they're doing you know focus training mindfulness stuff and and i think it's really from where I, I left the program in 2013 and then I came back in 2019 and in those, you know, 10 years, it was amazing. Just kind of the way that program had evolved into this sustainable, like thing that's going to be there for a, for a long time. And so I don't know if I answered your question, but like, yeah, it's just, I think it, the intent was that it was always going to be, you know, this kind of holistic approach, but I don't think we knew how we were going to get there until they started, you know, kind of trudging down the road a little bit. It's so comprehensive now. Um, and it gets really, it's very synonymous with, uh, well, in my household with my broken 19th group husband, um, it's very synonymous with rehab for him, but, and then also training. And then the gyms have come like, they're incredible absolutely incredible on some, on some basis now. Um, so it's kind of cool to see kind of where that started and, and how it is now and how comprehensive and the amount and the breadth of resources available through Thor, which has been, that's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool little process. Yeah. And people always resist it, you know, like anytime there's change, especially in the military, you know, like we, we've been trying to implement this new physical fitness test for, I don't know, five, <laughs> six years, and it's still not going to happen. And, and the problem is, is, is people are resistant to change and we don't know how we're going to do it. And, and so when we brought the Thor three program in our, you know, the Rangers had a program before that it was called Ranger athlete warrior. And, you know, guys would tell me, yeah, dudes hate the raw program. And I'm like, you know, it's, you know, guys would hate the Thor three program. I'm like, Oh, I hear it's just a one big lifting, you know, like we haven't been there. So like, you know, like, yeah, maybe they do some Olympic lifting, but are like, oh yeah, we don't do that. Or my 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 team's are and we just run and and so there's always like a little resistance. But I think if you can, you know, if you build it and you and you keep bringing in teams, and then as we bring in younger people to the unit, and then that guy becomes a you know a senior level medic, or he becomes like the intel guy on the team, and then he becomes a team star. Well he's grown up through the program. So for 11 years, this guy's been in the program. And so now he believes in it. He's selling it to, you know, and so as things, they kind of snowball a little bit and, and then people start to believe in it. So. I think that often people are resistant to what they're assigned or what's assigned to them. Yeah, too. yeah, that's yeah, actually like, oh, absolutely right, yeah. not. You told me to do it. And like, we've all seen that. Oh, you want me to do so? It's a, you know, you got kids. They're like that as well. If you tell yeah. them to do it, it's got to be by their yeah. own goodwill. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes people act like that all the way into adulthood, myself included. So yep. perhaps the way with the Ross program. Somewhat, somewhat tangential, but Mike and Annie had somewhat of a friendly bet here. I don't know how much is on the line. So you may be deciding some serious money handover right here. So, you know, answer very carefully. So Mike and Annie had a little bet and they were wondering in your time working as PT with the, with the Thor three program, what were the most, what was the most common injury that you saw? Yes. I was, I was thinking about that. So it would probably be, a couple, it varies, but I would say back, shoulder, and knee would be the, the, the ones. And oh, so, Mike. What was what that's, Mike said? fine. That's None fine. of us well, are, I, right? I, uh, I, was, I was certain we were going to, the medial tibial stress syndrome or something like that, just like shin pain. Oh, not, you know, we don't see that a whole lot because it's the SF dudes and because they've been gone for a long time. I worked you know with, how to run. Yeah, so I worked with, yeah. uh, during my internship, I did a B with the basic training at the air force. 
and yeah. we saw a ton of the the stress syndrome. But you know, we you don't see it a whole lot. Maybe sometimes with the support guys, but you know, even these guys that these older guys, they but they've they've been pounding. They they rock. They they know how to get after it, and so that's the one thing they they do fairly consistently. Even if they're not in the gym, they're out rucking or they're always out in the range, and so they're always on their feet. So we don't see a whole lot of stress syndrome. But we do see a lot of back stuff, a lot of shoulder stuff, you know, fairly common with the knee. Um, and depending on like the team guys or whatever, we see a lot of neck issues with people. I think it's just like they're strapped into their body armor so much and they're wearing a helmet all day long. And it's just. I said neck. I said neck. Did you say neck? I don't know. I said neck. Mike, take it like a man. Fire up Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is a, I think this is a push. I think we can I count think this I as said. a push. I think you I said no shin splints ever. And neck. I said hip and neck. <laughs> you said two things. That's unreal. <laughs> well, that's that's good. Yeah. I, I don't have a ton of experience with that exact population, but even like I did like just a little bit of time over on Lackland with like the TACP schoolhouse, and I, yeah. it seemed like for like you know the one week that I was there, I was surprised at uh, the shin splints that I saw. And I, I kind of figured I was like, oh, I, I thought these guys would like be right or like already good with this but maybe it was because it was like you know a training environment that that was probably well, i would agree with mike and if you look at that population like the tack p population is typically what 18 to 20 year old kids you know kind yeah. of right off the street and they haven't they haven't been on their feet a lot you know they haven't been in so you know but if you're looking at the special forces population it's usually guys in their late 20s early 30s and you know and then, so that's why we don't see as much stress stuff but like the tack p or you know like the the pjs all sorts of, you know, stress yeah. issues with those guys and so on. For sure. Okay, so I guess I won. I guess I won. Right, right. Can we just have a, can we just edit the podcast out for all the podcasts? <laughs> yeah, we'll edit that. And I, I'm pretty sure we can like piece together his voice to where it says, <laughs> we'll take the future where he said shin splints and we'll piece that back in. Take, and, take what she said, just lower it a couple octaves. We just do a deep fake and we move on. I have an image I have to uphold, so. Do that. You go ahead and match perfect. So that kind of that kind of segues us over to working more with the civilian side of things and the most common injuries you see over there. So working in more of like a sports medicine setting, collaboration with more civilian based institutions. What are the I mean, we can call them injuries, we can call them syndromes, disorders, whatever you want to call them that you probably see most common that plague a large percentage of the population? Yeah. So for at the the Hibble Center, we're doing a lot of collegiate athletes and these high school okay. athletes and so right now it's it's knee knee injuries i would say it's the most common yeah and so we uh we did some testing on uccs which is uh we collaborate with the university of colorado colorado springs the hibble center does and so we had the 400 and 800 meter um, track athletes in there it was pretty interesting we had them on a, a dari which is like a motion capture system eight camera system it's a markerless system they go through they squat they do single leg squats and balance stuff and uh and then we put them on the the treadmill we have a force plate treadmill three cameras and we had them run out there at their race pace and them running at their race pace is just beautiful you know it's like deer running it's just so smooth you know no deficiencies or whatever but then when we have them squat or single leg squat, it looks like a baby giraffe, right? They're all over the place. You know, they can't even squat correctly. These slow motions, they're they're really dysfunctional. There's a ton of asymmetries. And and so I think that's the, the important part is like if we can catch some of this stuff early, 
like, hey, this is the way you're moving. And so when not necessarily when she they're running at race pace, but if, you know, at their training levels, they're probably creating a little bit of dysfunctions or a little bit of, you know, stress on their knees or whatever. So at 19 and 20, it's not a big issue. But, you know, two or three years in their career, when they've been doing this year round, you know, they're probably likely to develop some type of injury. And so um, for, for them, you know, it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of knee stuff. We don't really see a whole lot of back stuff with the younger population, sometimes shoulder stuff. But, you know, they're young. And so. Go ahead, Annie. What were you going to say? Yeah. Well, so, you know, I've been so I work primarily with tactical populations um, in person, out of person. Then I also work at a college here in Washington, D.C. And um, something that I see a lot of is people have foundationally decent mechanics, and they don't know until they start going at a pretty decent clip how poorly they're going to move. And then you throw a ruck on it. And so I get a lot of injuries that people are just injured from, like, I mean, it's kind of some silly stuff, like not – not put pack in their ruck appropriately. So it's flying off their back in these weird, you know, and they're, and maybe their running form kind of sucks. Right. And so yeah. then they end up with a bunch of issues. And then this very strange, um, subpopulation I've picked up is big dudes that have decided they want to run suddenly. <laughs> and they, and then I don't know why they always want to wear minimalist shoes, but I'm like, Oh, you're not a minimalist dude though. Like yeah. we got to put some, some cushion on you. Um, and so I'm getting, Quite a few people will shin splints. And when I start breaking it down, it seems as though the progression plans are bad. Like they're adding a ton of mileage because some is good. So a lot more is so much better. And they're not immediately in pain. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of that. And then I see a lot of ruck related injuries. And maybe it's uh, people just rucking to, to no end, um, like overuse injuries. I guess that's what I would say I see a lot of. Yeah, I would say like, you know, we've done a troop school just to your point, you know, and and we'll we'll talk about movement, squat, single leg squat. And, you know, we usually have everybody in the class stand up and squat. Well, everyone knows how to squat, right? Like it's like you said, like I know what a perfect squat looks like, right? Like so I, you know, I get my hands out and I squat down and it looks great. But then if we have them do repeated motions or we we load them or we do something like that, that's when the dysfunctions start to tweak out. And I think that's you know, as as like a physical therapist or even like a performance coach, like we probably should look at what they're doing, you know, so this guy can air squat when I tell him to, but then I put him under load and it's a train wreck or, you know, we put a ruck on him and it's a train wreck. And so I think that's probably more so where we should be looking, you know, like more like this, you know, functional type movement. And that's where we can probably tweak out where they're probably causing their stress and likely to injure themselves. It seems so obvious when they're fatigued, you know, yeah, yeah, getting yeah. them to the, from the sake of being a strength and conditioning coach, um, fatigue is something we avoid like the plague, right? Especially if they're in, you know, so with athletes, they're in season, we don't fatigue, we don't fatigue. And then when I have tactical populations come through, um, we do. And that's where things start to pop up really well. So we have actually a really good track record at this university I'm at um, with tactical population uh, kind of mitigation of injury. And then a terrible one with, not terrible, pretty average, but you know, collegiate athletes just do get hurt. Um, and it's because we aren't seeing them. You know, the trained eye of somebody that's got a kinesiology background isn't really seeing them at their full fatigue until game day, which is pretty rough, but interesting. 
interesting. We gotta we gotta get them away from their uh, one perfect squat. Anyone can squat perfectly. My yeah, own, right, right, right. My own sixty three year old mother. Beautiful one squat. <laughs> Ten later, we're in. We're in yeah. this. So across a lot of the populations that you've worked with, and we've kind of talked about this on the podcast before, it seems like a lot of these injuries are very overuse related, doing too much when you're not ready for it. But I think from some of the things that you've talked about, you talk, you, you've said mentioned more about like on the acute side of things, something just hits and goes like under fatigue, something goes. So are there things that you implement in kind of your sports performance practice or your kind of um, uh, sports medicine practice that like you go to 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 limit those situations? Are you training them, getting them highly fatigued and then having them do specific movements? What's kind of what's kind of your coaching methodology when preventing this kind of stuff? Yeah, I think for us, it's 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 a good warm up. Right. And then that we're kind of moving through some of these these motions with cues. And then I think people have to recognize when they move poorly and why they're moving poorly. And so especially with the injured population, like no one, no one, a person with back pain has been pretty rare where someone can hip hinge properly, right? And so I can't get them to hip hinge without them like flexing their lumbar spine or whatever. And so being able to cue that and be able to cue a proper squat and then, and then finding whatever their dysfunction is, right? As, as we're developing their plan, is it thoracic spine? Is it ankle range of motion? Is it their inability to hip hinge? And then putting that in as part of their kind of these little cues that they have during their own warm up, and that they know how to how, what it looks like, what a proper workout looks like, and that if they have form fatigue, you know, to Annie's point, when they're under load, that they're stopping and maybe adjusting as opposed to pushing through the workout at that time. Yeah, I like that. So, and we've got some kind of some some flashback questions here for you. Ready? So, you ready for some 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 flashbacks? Sure. All right. So we're flashing back to the day that, that Thor three project gets dropped on your desk, and you can whisper yourself Twitter format here, 150 characters or less. <laughs> you can whisper some Twitter format advice in your own ear. What are you going with? What are you going to tell a young? Jason Mitchell. I think if I could do it again, I think the there was a lot of competing bodies. So USASOC had a Thor three team that had a had a agenda or a plan. And then the the group that I worked for had a plan. You know, the higher command, the the that controlled the group had a command. And then my Thor three team had a plan. And so it was a lot of competing going on. And there was a lot of conflict because what USASOC was pushing out from Fort Bragg, our command was saying, well, that's not going to happen. You know, we're going to do this or that. And this is what we want it to be. And and then I'm down there. I'm saying like, well, then we're not going to get this funding or, or whatnot. And so, if I could go back, I would have set more firm kind of guidelines, like how we're moving forward. This is this is the rules, right? And this is how we're going to – this is how we implement the program. This is what the program is. And then phased it out so that if you don't have command support, then the program's always going to falter for a while. But if I can get – 
the company commanders and even the team leaders on board and then definitely like the battalion commanders on board that they're pushing this program. And I think I was just overwhelmed and I didn't communicate enough kind of what store three was and how we could help and maybe um, just take the guidelines from USASOC at Fort Bragg and just go with whatever the local command is going with. It all worked out in the end, you know, it just caused me a lot of stress, but um, <laughs> and then I would buy a bunch of wine, Ryan. That's what I'd do. <laughs> <laughs> some years off the lifespan, but yeah. it's worth it in the end. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, actually, so I actually wanted to ask you, when you first got the project, I'm sure that you had a hit, well, hit of stress. Of course, you were like, holy crap, how am I going to do this? But I'm sure you had like a hit of excitement too. And you were like, wow, like this is what I want this to be. So like what was your, before anyone else had any influence on you, what was kind of your mission statement for it? This is what I personally want to get out of this. Yeah. So I was, I was excited because A, I was going back to group, you know, and so I, you know, I, I had missed it. And so my thought is that, I was going to be a part of this thing, building this huge comprehensive program. And so for me, it was, it was exciting, but I wanted it to be like a sustainable program that we could make top level operators throughout their whole career. Right. So that guys weren't just coming in and just going hard for 15, 20 years and then retiring, you know, just like put out the pasture because it was, they're so broken down. And so my thought was, is that we could develop this comprehensive, like holistic program that was sustainable, that everyone would buy into and that we would have some measurable changes that we could, you know, kind of sell to everybody. And so I mean, it was a little probably optimistic initially, but I think it, it's getting there. It's just everything moves so slowly with the military. And but I, I definitely think it, it's working that way. And the people, Paul Goldberg, he's in charge of 10 Special Forces. And, you know, over the last 10 years, it's just been amazing kind of how they've progressed the program and what they've done. And yeah, I, I was proud to be a part of it. And I'm proud to have started kind of that part. But yeah, it's it's really grown since I've left it. So a huge accomplishment huge um i have a question from the audience the audience (laughs) what 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 would you say the split is between how how we word in this i've got a few questions from the audience okay here we go split on the injuries that you worked with during your time and with the teams between dumb injuries and tr- and duty related injuries. Okay, let me let me pull this. Let me pull this up real quick here. So, oh, man came prepared with numbers, and I love it. Yeah, so, <laughs> the data. So the last time I was I was deployed, I kept a, a tracker on uh, on on injuries, kind of where the area was, who they were, and then kind of what the mechanism of injury was. So for thirty four percent of the injuries, they just woke up with pain, right? And so. To me, that was probably like some stress, like they were riding in a vehicle for a long time or whatnot, or, um, or you know, they were sitting around all day and they've been kind of used to moving around. Twenty five percent was working out, and so. Oh um, no. Yeah. So you know, what, so guys now, go down range and they're like, or max 
maxing out. Yeah, that's, so that's that's funny. Yeah, so like I, I saw a guy with a tour pack because you know he's like he was maxing out on his bench, you know, and it's like uh, the joke is three fifteen isn't going to bench itself, so you got to get out there and get after it, you know. <laughs> and, so, and so, but you know, guys are like, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad I'm on deployment. I'm going to get in shape, and so they're working out twice a day, you know, and they're doing combatives and all this stuff. And yeah, so we saw like a ton of like so twenty five percent working out. And then 5% was combative. It was probably 11% running injuries, they, they, they called it. 16% work, you know, which would be like them lifting something, you know, like moving something around. 6% sports, um, which is kind of low. Usually, you know, we see like uh, organization day in the Army is, is a huge kind of injury thing. And then only 2% were uh, combat-related injuries. So. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh no oh no 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 that is not what we wanted to hear (laughs) you know it's it's like i always look at it like if a guy gets hurt working out you know as long as it's something that you know like a pec tear that's probably not too awesome but you know something else like tweaked his knee or back we had a guy blow out just completely blow out his knee during combatives you know he's doing some jujitsu stuff and it's like that stuff's not great because it takes the guy off deployment and Mm -hmm. and it's bad for everybody. Like the, the guy, when I say guy, I mean, whoever it is, right? Like male or female, like with that, they don't want to necessarily, for the most part, you know, everyone I met, they don't want to leave the deployment. You know, they're pissed off that they got hurt and, you know, and then they have to figure out how they're going to go without this individual while they're gone. And so, but you know, if it's just like a tweak or a back thing, like, well, that's why we're there, right? We can get them back in the fight and, and kind of provide some skills. And, you know, I feel like yeah, there's some risk to working out, but, you know, it's better than us being like big, uh, you know, jars of jello that we're walking around. And so, right. I, yeah. Not so, very imposing. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what about beer-related injuries? Any of those? Would you say? What about beer-related injuries? Beer-related injuries? <laughs> Yeah. So the deployed, yeah, I can't speak to those. Yeah. So zero percent of those actually. Zero percent. Incredible. Incredible. You said your husband's nineteenth group, right? So he he could tell you some stories. <laughs> well, that's where I'm coming from. That's okay. exactly where this came. From. Okay. Yeah. I won't mention any of those, but yeah, there's pro- there's probably some of those out there. <laughs> <laughs> we won't mention it. We won't. We won't mention yeah, it. Yeah, it's probably better. Yeah, that's. What do you think is? Um, so it's it's great for me. It's been great for me. Um, I've been kind of entrenched in the tactical population strength and conditioning sector since 2014. Um, and it's been awesome, but I had to go the route of doing contract work and being at Fort Bragg and just, and just doing the, the work on that side and then finally being able to break off and be private. Um, but now it's real hot. It's real hot to be a tactical performance coach. So as you're seeing things, um, what do you think is the most misguided training advice you've seen? That we have to train in our gear, right? Like that. Right. Yeah, I think that would be it, right? So that I have to put all this crap on and clean or something, you know, like do cleans <laughs> or like do some, you know, weird carry. And, you know, when I was first at group, we had a guy and he's a strength coach and, you know, he was like, he really bought into this. He called it like tactical Thursday or something like that. And I hated it because, you know, he, he would have guys get their gear on, they're slinging ammo cans around. I'm like, you know, me personally, like, being able to do a heavy clean or a kettlebell swing when I'm not 
at work. I'd rather do that than to get in all my work gear and throw a stupid ammo can around that I hate anyways. And so like, I think mentally it's better to, to separate the two and, and then guys just, they end up getting injured, you know, at, at Fort Benning, they would put people in like body armor and then they'd run them and, you know, they'd have them do all these burpees and body armor. And these, and these kids are in the officer candidate school. So they're right out of, you know, they're right off the street. And then we're just like crushing them. Like, well, why are they running in body armor when they can't even run, you know, like a decent run time on their own? I'm like, let's just take a sledgehammer and beat their knees now. And so we don't have to like worry about it later. And so it's frustrating. So, but yeah, that, that's what I would say. Like, the, but the misconception is, is that we have to, you know, like kind of like train, like you fight, we don't have to exercise like you fight, you know, like there's, there's two different things. And so that's what, it, that's what I would say it was. It's odd because no one else thinks that way. You know, like nobody, the NFL doesn't say here's a football in the weight room, catch it between, yeah. no, it doesn't have it. Nor does NASA say, where's your space suit? Get in it. You yeah. know, like that's, that's not a thing. And then from a perspective of becoming faster and stronger, you certainly don't get faster by becoming, by running slower than you're capable. Like that's right. certainly not a, that's no strategy I'm aware of. And to create shin splints by running in your boots. Because, oh, yeah. And so. But. but man, did Nike start capitalizing on making those real sick uh, military inspired run boots? Oh, yeah. No, no, they're nice. I've done some rocks in them. I, I, I really like them. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was good. That's a solid <laughs> marketing idea. Yeah. Good job, Nike. Good job, Nike. <laughs> Do they have a pretty good marketing team? Nike? I don't, I'm not sure. All right. What's our next question from the audience? The next one, I, I have no oh, shortage. So it turns out no shortage. you're on, you're in the hot seat because every person my husband's ever served with is here this weekend and this week for the inauguration. So it's, we're good. We're solid. <laughs> so I got quite a few questions from the audience, from the peanut gallery here. Um, so let's see, we've got, what would be one piece of advice you'd have for somebody that's going, that's preparing for the SFAS or the Q course or a ruck based selection? Yeah. So I, I was thinking about that, you know, and kind of like to like how I would, one of the other questions is like, how would I, change my career, you know, and what what I do. And I think if I could do it again, or if I was going to advise someone how to go to SFAS or whatever assessment they were going to, like, it would, it would be to get an initial assessment, you know, go to a coach and get, where, where am I deficient in it? You know, am I deficient aerobically? Am I de deficient strength wise? Am I deficient in loaded carriage? And then have someone build me a plan based around that. The plan to just like go out and get after it every day, it, it doesn't work for most of the population. And that's why we end up with these stress injuries, right? Like, they, you know, guys just think like, well, I rocked three miles today. I rock four tomorrow, five. That's my progression. And I think if we had an assessment, you know, bigger guys or strong guys, you know, they probably need to work more like on their aerobic conditioning or, you know, these like these wiry guys that, you know, can run forever. Well, you know, they maybe need a little strength-based stuff. And so, but I think doing a basic assessment, you could probably pull something off the internet, but I think having a coach to talk you through it and maybe explain a little bit would probably be, 
worth its weight to before you go and you start training something with an actual plan. You know, Thor three has some some plans on the internet which are decent. You know, and but I still think like people need to understand like where they're coming from before they start pushing towards like one of these goals as far as like especially if you're going to be rocking like a ton of times like you are in SFAS. So. Yeah, we talk a lot, and I'm I'm not gonna let Ryan say it first, but about a needs analysis. Always yeah. right. Oh, my know. word! Come on, my that, no, that's, the, that's how I sound smart on these things, and you just take it from me. Now I'm just sitting like an idiot. It's because of the <laughs> Nike comment. I tell you, the the most heartbreaking news I ever give people is that they don't need to actually bench anymore. Or yeah. and I've had some people that have, you know, elite powerlifting totals. I'm like, that's kind of over like that's you are not going to pass your two mile of any yeah. sort like like i hate to tell you but that we have to shelf i mean I and it's usually a happy medium but that's we've hard. evolved over time you know so if you look at like uh take the rangers in the 90s they were these wiry you know five nine five ten 160 pound guys that could go all day long and now if you look at them nowadays you know they're they're big, muscular, beefy. beefy guys, and at least the joke, you know, the thought is, is everyone always says, "Oh, what if this guy goes down? You know, who's going to carry him out?" That's why we're saying like we need these big, beefy guys, you know, and like who's going to carry this two hundred and twenty pound guy out if he goes down, you know, and th so that's why we need to be strong or be able to carry someone out. Like I get that part, but. You know, that doesn't happen a whole lot. But what does happen is, is we run in, we clear a room, we run, we clear another room, we run, we clear another room, we run across a compound, we run, and you know, it's like if I'm a huge dude and I'm clearing multiple rooms, I'm dying, right? And then how efficient or how effective I am at the end of like clearing, you know, four floors of rooms when I haven't had to carry anyone out of the room, though, you know, but so... That's right. my thought is like, you know, and that's the whole needs analysis and where where are we deficient and, and how can we improve, you know, when we're looking at this kind of general conditioning. Right. I think that when people look upon the profession from an outsider's perspective, they really do see like the Hollywood extreme version. And they don't realize how much how much aerobically taxing work there is to be done in the most mundane way. Yeah. And how not very many bodies are getting carried around. Thank God, right? So thank, yeah, right. Thank, yeah, yeah. thank you that we're not just the disposal team, but like that's just not quite what we're preparing for is dragging out your your, your enormous 225 pound friend. Right. Which also maybe don't be 225 pounds, be easier to run around with, you know. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Won't have to worry about it so much. Um, another question we've got here is training. What strategy have you seen working for training around scheduling autonomy? Like people don't have autonomy of schedule. Um, you know, in a perfect world, they'd have a beautiful plan, but they just ain't got it. Yeah. So th I think that's whole that kind of falls in with the whole needs analysis and mm -hmm. where where's my focus, right? So if um, you know, if we're out in the field and we can't you know we can't train for so many days and then we have some time to train well where's where's my priority what what do i need to focus on what what's gonna kind of what what, what, what am i going to lose faster am i going to lose strength faster or am i going to lose aerobic capability faster in which you know aerobic capability i'm gonna lose faster and so like 
I probably need to just have a little priority, especially, you know, especially with the military population, you know, we'd go on these long trips and then we don't really have the ability to, we can't run, right. You can't do any aerobic stuff, but, but you could do some type of circuit or something like that and, and get after it a little bit, even, you know, even if you're just using water cans or whatnot, but maintaining and trying to sustain a little bit when you're under these kind of tough situations, I think would be good. So prioritizing what your needs are and kind of where your, where your, where your personal needs are. And then being able to recognize when you do have time to train some of the small stuff you can do that, that can sustain, you know, you know, like they say, like Tabatas can sustain you, you know, aerobically, anaerobically in who wants to take four minutes if you push it hard enough. And, uh, so I don't know if I answered your question, but that's, that's my thought is no, that it's good. You know, really a lot of these are also just words people need to hear from someone other than me barking it out. (laughs) (laughs) Like put it down. You don't really need that. Another thing I wouldn't mind now that I'm thinking about it. Do you think that rest days are important and recovery in general, (sighs) Jason? Yeah. So my thought would be too, is, you know, you hear it a lot. Like when we work out, we don't work out hard enough. And when we rest, we don't rest. Right. We, we're, we're doing something like it's middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like middle ground. We're just always like kind of hanging out there. And that's why I think having the Thor three folks and with like a, an actual program where they're programming and rest days and you're listening to that, you know, and they're, and you're talking through that can make a big difference, especially as people go through their career and you're in your twenties and early thirties, you can probably get away with it, but you know, you get up in your thirties and forties and you start, you start, it starts paying, you know, and you start paying for it a little bit. So, yeah. So when your coach says to have a rest day, you should probably have a rest, you day. Probably should have a rest I hear you. Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hear you, Jason. I got you. Never. <laughs> Ryan, by the way. <laughs> awesome. Here's a question uh, for you. Um, oh, no. Mike's whoops, coming. Oh, in, whoops. Mike's in. Oh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm here. Mike's yeah. Mike's no. So, so I don't, I don't know if you, uh, if you spend a lot of time online, if you don't, I, I wouldn't recommend it, but apparently um like manual therapy sucks and is bad um and as as a fellow baylor bro i'm I'm sure you probably know that this is this is false and uh you know patently absurd so i I guess just coming from you know someone who's who's been around a while um i mean do you have any thoughts on that i mean you know when i've deployed i found really powerful for those you know like really acute injuries and you know i i think it's like misguided to throw stuff like that out even like modalities and stuff frankly which you know yeah it doesn't have the same staying power as you know exercise etc but i mean we're talking about people need to like go out and you know like fly a mission or go out on patrol or something like that i mean what's what's the problem with that you know what i mean so i'm just curious if you have any thoughts on uh on manual therapy and, and you know just yeah, open up to you I, I think where the the issue comes in is that people start to use it as a crutch, you know, like this whole dry needling, you know, it's like, well, I have to get dry needled weekly. Otherwise, you know, or I have to get my back cracked or I need manual therapy on my knee weekly. And, and I think us as physical therapists, that's probably where we're missing out is we're not educating. Like, Hey, if if you're, if you require physical therapy weekly for four years, well, you're not in physical therapy. Yeah. Yeah. We're not doing what we need to do. And, but I think it's a huge tool, right? Like, so, you know, we're talking about like someone has a dysfunctional movement, like they can't squat or they can't raise their arm overhead. And then we can do some manual therapy 
and increase that range of motion. We free we free up that dysfunctional movement, and then we have them own that movement with exercise. What's well, so effective, right? Or someone's going out, and if someone's like their thoracic spine's locked up, and then we're going to put them in body armor and put a ruck on them, and then they're going to go walk around for four hours. But if we can free up that motion, give them some stuff to do with some manual therapy, and then we'll go out. I think we're going to limit kind of like their their issues in the long term. So, no, I think it's it's really effective. My only issue is if we start to use it as kind of like this all the time crutch. Um, but no, it's it's certainly like, and that, I think that's the point of it, right? Like, so if we're doing it you know, a couple of weeks and then we're giving people to work on it and things to work on with it and they're owning that movement. And then as they move forward, then they require less of it, but it certainly can be effective and it can certainly keep people in the fight. And so. For sure. It seems like there's a cycle of, uh, relevance where people learn about some modality of, of, uh, soft tissue therapy and then they fall in love with that thing and they don't stop doing it and then they take it to this extreme and then somebody on the internet will go you don't need to theragun yourself you know for 40 minutes every day or dry needling six thousand times and then and then there's a wave of like yeah actually i screwed myself up with a go figure a bunch of percussion type therapy and then it sucks and then there's like this pendulum of like hey it's actually pretty effective in these reasonable doses down here and then i guess reasonable doses is where it gets out of hand people get out of hand with it right yeah and you know and, and i get it you know guys come in and they're hurting and they, and they want to just feel better and so like you know that's why they're coming to physical therapy anyways and so they don't want to be told like well, i'll do this but then i need you to do whatever xyz and over time you know like i think if we can get a little buy-in and we can educate them more so as why we're doing the manual therapy and then why we shouldn't be doing it for you know why they should be like theragunning themselves or foam rolling themselves for two hours before they work out well you're i don't know what you're doing but it's it's not what you need to be doing and so or just smashing the shit out of them <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah 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 i need two barbells over the bicep yeah yeah, yeah. so so when i worked at ucf they had this thing where they would uh, they would roll their IT bands with half inch thick PVC before each workout and they would just be mashing each other, pushing each other down on the pipe. Like, what do you what do you guys what what are we getting out of this? Where are we going with this? Yeah. What is the outcome that we're looking for? And all I could ever get, and it was funny because Max Ada, who works at Juggernaut, pretty weightlifting coach, he was talking about the same thing. It's like people just go with like, oh, I'm releasing the muscle. Like, <laughs> okay, go one step further. Explain to me what that means when you say releasing the muscle. It's the muscle in in prison. Where what are we going with here? And it's the same thing with you know mashing with the lacrosse ball. I'm activating my. I saw this on Instagram the other day. This guy theragunning his abs. I'm activating my abs before I go train him at the gym today. And it, and and that's when like what Annie said. That's when the pendulum comes and swings back, and people say, "Oh, that that shit is stupid. You should not be doing that." It's like, no, we're, we're, we got to be hanging out in that middle ground. There's a use right. for it. It's probably not what you're doing with it. <laughs> it's probably better served with someone who has like DPT after their name. Let's keep it. Let's keep it there. Yeah. Or at least softly, you know, like I love the releasing the muscle. Yeah. Detach it. Go ahead and just sever it. Where else do <laughs> you see it? <laughs> Next. <laughs> Amputate the muscle. It's gone. It's done. 
breaking up the gristle, right? That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Something, something that Annie has enlightened me to since joining the team is that in the world of tactical strength conditioning, tactical performance, there is no shortage of absurd exercises that you do. They like to just do the strangest of exercises. So the question that we wanted to finish with today was I wanted to ask you, you get the chance, you get to eliminate one dumb exercise that maybe you've seen in, in your past. No one is ever allowed to do it again. Punishable by death. What's going to be that exercise? Yeah, so I had to think about this, but I was thinking burpees. That I would, I would go with burpees just because they're so abused. You know, it's just... It's rarely that you see it being done effectively, and it's usually where people are fatigued, you know. And and I like I was telling you at Fort Benning, we saw you know I, I saw this young female raging her dick for doing a hundred burpees in body armor, you know, and she can do a honey hundred burpees normally, you know. And so we're putting her in body armor and doing it, and I get it, they suck and they're hard, but like I don't really know what the function is of them, and and it's usually abuse so yeah if you got rid of those i, I wouldn't mind so burpees are out. i think everyone can agree to that i think i don't think anyone's <laughs> so i'm currently in prep for this year's open and i saw that castro either tweeted or posted on an instagram post or something and the quote was like Hashtag CrossFit Open. Who doesn't love burpees? So I'm thinking that we're gonna be burpeeing heavily. Oh, yeah. And I agree with you. Like, like, what's the intent there, other than for it to suck and be hard and get your yeah. heart rate way up? When you see burpees on a workout, you're like, all right, there's the section of the workout that I just, I don't know, have to survive through. I'm not getting anything out of it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's just such an abused movement. You know, if you watch people do it, it's just sloppy, and you know, they're just kind of flexing everywhere, do it ragdolling down into it. And so it's just, I just hate them. It's like the the high school football equivalent is like up downs. Everyone's yeah. been bad. All right. Time yeah, to do yeah. Our up downs. yeah right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, gang. Is there anything that we wanted to circle back to any questions that were left on the table, burning questions on their mind that you cannot live without answering Annie, Mike speak now forever. Hold your peace. I think we all saw me win the debate earlier. Oh, you know what? One more. We did. Injuries when you were at the Pentagon, were they different? They were. So it was an older population. So, you know, probably the average rank was colonel and above. Um, And so it was, it tended to be like some, like just sitting. So I probably did see more neck there. Yeah. So probably more neck and uh, issues, just shoulder issues there just because of, people sitting at a computer all day long and stress. Um, yeah, I treated a ton of neck there. And so, but I would say too, that they were a lot more responsive. That population was pretty responsive. And so they, cause they didn't have time to come down to the clinic. So, you know, they were like, just tell me what to do. And they were pretty responsive to, to what they did. And so, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a good, it was a good job. Were you in Arlington at that time or? I, I lived in um, Burke, Springfield area, West Springfield. Yeah, Mike's got some family there. I live in um, McLean, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> loved it. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good place. A little busy, but it's good. Yeah, <laughs> a little hot this week, but I think I'm gonna oh. give it. I'm gonna give it a couple more weeks before I throw the towel on it. <laughs> Very cool. Right, Jason. It's been my Jason, favorite any... because I won this whole podcast. <laughs> two, two of them. 
You were two for two. Double up the bet, Mike. That's what is that? Four hundred dollars, I think, was the agreement. It got stolen from me. Uh, just, just, uh, Stop the yeah. Stop yeah. the count. Yeah. <laughs> I think that concludes the reasonable questions that don't have beer in them from uh, from the old notebook here. So. Perfect. Love it. Jason, uh, let the people know where they can find you if they want to reach out for any of your resources, buy things from you, just generally give you money. Where where would they find you at? Yeah, so if you're interested, I'm Jason Mitchler on Instagram. But yeah, I don't, I'm not selling anything. So yeah, but if you have any questions, you can contact me. That's how Annie found me. So, but there it is. Um, yeah, Jason's very receptive on Instagram and very, very knowledgeable on the subject. So it's been Awesome to have you on, Jason. Thanks for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks for spreading your knowledge to everyone here. One, listen to your coach. Two, don't do burpees in your your combat gear, anything like that. And three, we're going to circle back to it. Listen to your coach again. <laughs> Perfect. As always, this has been the Gifted Performance Podcast. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for listening. Like, comment, subscribe. Do all of those YouTube things because the algorithm stays fucking your boy. (laughs) And we will see you on the next one, guys. As always, stay gifted. See ya.